everybody. This is Life Lessons with Mikey Messier. If you're listening to the audio version on the Wrestling with the Future podcast network, uh, I am Mike Messier. I am here in Florida. My buddy, Jimmy Faluca. Jimmy, did I say your last name right? You said it perfectly, sir. Thank you. Very good. And Jimmy, you're in the Northeast. Can you, can you give us a, a certain area that you're in? Do you want to disclose I in, that? I am in Staten Island, New York, sir. One of the five boroughs of New York. Nice. The closest I think I've been there was Long Island. How far is Staten Island from Long Island? It's a pretty, if you're going to drive there, it's a pretty long drive. I remember once because of my job, I had to drive out there once with some coworkers. See, I work at Staten Island Hospital and our Northwell Health, one of our main corporation buildings is in Long Island. We all had to go out there once. And let me tell you something, the traffic was murder. I don't wish it on. If you want to give someone a really bad day, have yeah. them drive out to Long Island because the traffic <laughs> alone will drive them nuts. The last time and really the first time I was at uh, Long Island was to visit in the summer of 2018, uh, right around this time two years ago. I visited a guy named Brian Danovich. Uh, Brian Dano was the toughest man on Tough Enough, the class with Miz and Ryback. And long story short, if you remember, he was the guy that blew out his chest muscle doing an excessive amount of bench pressing really quick. Ooh. And uh, they, they they actually put him uh, in Ohio Valley. And he had like uh, Carl Anderson in his class there in Ohio Valley. And um, But Dano, uh, unfortunately, about a month after I hung out with him, he passed away. Oh. So it was horrible because I, I met this guy at his home. And uh, he had the whole world ahead of him, but I think he was one of those guys that didn't realize that maybe the best was yet to come. And when I do podcasts and when I talk wrestling, to be honest, I, I don't dwell on it, but sometimes I do in that I feel like Dano was a guy, a young guy in his mid-30s who loved wrestling so much, had his opportunity, had his shot with Tough Enough. Uh, the injury never really healed up properly, and they were still kind of putting him through the paces of Ohio Valley, and he was still pretty much injured. And he just never got that brass ring, and he was always kind of floating around hoping for it. And, he, he, you know, 10 years later, he found himself doing these podcasts, and he interviewed Hannibal, and I think he, he interviewed some other people of note. Um, I think he talked to uh, Sean Mooney, among others, and people liked him. But he always kind of had that... I want to be in the elite. I want to be in the WWE, not not uh, the Cody Rhodes elite, but the WWE elite. I got an idea what you meant. Yeah. Yes. Well, unfortunately, and I've discovered this in my 11 years in my vocation, a lot of times when you're down, you can't see that you could only go up. Like there right. was a time period from about two years ago, it was right after my son was born, where I was going through some troubles at my job. And let me tell you something. When you're 27, 28 years old and you're coming home every day with chest pains from stress, it'll knock you on your ass physically and mentally. But I was fortunate that I had an excellent support system around me, family and very close friends that were like, listen, you're going to get through this. Once you get over this hump, start planning for the future. And let me tell you something. Professionally, I can't remember the last time I was this happy. So, you know, it's... At that time, when you're going through the depression, you're going through the downtime, you're going through the sadness, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. It's hard to see that sun peeking out over the horizon. But right. man, let me tell you, for anyone that's actually listening to this, if you're going through that right now, believe me, when you're down, you can only go up. And let me tell you, if, you're, if, you, if you believe in yourself enough and, and you work hard enough, believe me, you can go far in life. I'm living proof. I'm living proof. You can do it. 
Well, you you're a family man. You've got uh, if you, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but you you've got yourself a nice family going on there, right? Yeah, let me tell you something. I, I could not ask for a for a better family. I have great great parents. They're they're my rock. They've been my they've been my the blood pumping through my chest for for my whole life. I have an excellent sister who's basically my best friend. You know, we're always together. We're always hanging out. She's actually the godmother to my son. And nice. forget it, that kid. Ever since he started talking, one of his first words was her name. He oh, wow. follows her around all the time, and I have a beautiful wife. You know, she's she's absolutely awesome. She's been with me since 2011, and uh, you know, we're coming up next year. Will be 10 years that she and I oh, together. Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. We got married in 2017. Believe it or not, she actually picked the wedding date on my for for it to be on my father's birthday because that's oh. how close, that's how close her and my dad are. So That's really cool. We, we, we're a very tight-knit family over here. So, you know, personally, I've got a good life. I have no complaints. Now, what, what I wanted to talk about with you tonight, Jimmy, and, and you and I have kind of known each other through these Facebook circles uh, for a couple of years. And, and just real quick, I want to give a, a shout-out to our sponsor, uh, Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is a men's gro- grooming product. And what it's really good for, Jimmy, uh, is basically men's grooming. Now, what you know, people might be wondering, what's that? Well, it's basically between the waistline and the knee. And I won't <laughs> I'll let people's imagination. <laughs> Don't got to elaborate further. We yeah, get right. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, uh, the promo code WRESTLINGFUTURE gets you 20% off all your purchases. And what they have is the, the lawnmower 3.0, the razor. They have all these wonderful um aromas and gels and all these wonderful things and they're branching out into some new products and the reason why this is important really is kind of the health reason if nothing else it's the summer it's the heat and in that area if people are not well groomed they're more susceptible in my opinion to ingrown hairs and all types of nasty stuff so you want to keep yourself nice and trim they're and all that good stuff a lot of, they're prone to a lot of other things you don't realize how important hygiene and cleanliness is most people and I've said this for years, the most unsung heroes in all the cities are the sanitation workers. Because if it wasn't for them, our city was our cities would be filled with, with pestilence, with disease, and trash all over the place. And the That's human right. body is no different. If you the women have to do maintenance more than we do most of the time, but we still have to do it. So you're promoting something that's really useful. Whether guys want to admit it or not, you gotta take care of yourself. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. And Manscaped, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. And the promo code WRESTLINGFUTURE gets you 20% off. If you are going to go and get some Manscaped stuff, make sure you use our promo code so the good folks, uh, Kyle and everybody else at Manscaped, knows that we are speaking good on their behalf. Uh, and thank- nice t-shirt you got on, Mike. Thank you. This is the Wrestling with the Future podcast t-shirt. Appreciate that. Our good host and producer who uh, gets this show everywhere, all the audio uh, versions. And Jimmy, this guy, Angelo, Psychic Medium, he's up in the uh, New Jersey area. He's really working hard to broadcast all these shows. Uh, Life Lessons, uh, which is my show, uh, The Ref's Roundtable, which is in honor of Jeff the Ref Robinson, who passed away on February 29th of this year. Uh, The yeah, he was a good guy. The main, the flagship, uh, Wrestling with the Future. And um, I know you have been on the show before uh, with Angelo a, a couple of times, but I, I, a reason why I wanted to talk to you, why, I'm kind of fascinated by you, Jimmy, in a low-key way, is because 
you have been doing, uh, to give them credit, the One Wrestling Network group has been around for a while. And I always associate that with uh, the Ultimate Warrior. And I know a lot of people don't like the Ultimate Warrior. And I can understand why. He, he, yeah, he had, some, he had some, so, some offensive and controversial things. But he was cool to me when I met him. And, um, but my thing is this. You do these kind of fantasy bookings. And one of the characters you're really kind of fascinated with and always feeling that's being misused, uh, misdialed, they're not tuned in. Vince McMahon is, is uh, look, I think Vince McMahon is having uh, age issues, to be honest with you. And, and I, I don't say that to make fun of him. I just think it's true. So when we're talking about Bray Wyatt, the last time I saw him was Sunday night on pay-per-view. He's wrestling in the Swamp match. And my feeling was this. I thought the Bray Wyatt-John Cena match at WrestleMania was an art house film. I enjoyed it. But now that we're going to the well, like the fourth or fifth time, with this cinematic match experience, and it's the Swamp match, Bray Wyatt versus Braun Strowman, and they did like kind of the Clockwork Orange tie you down to a chair and yell at you and, and all that stuff. What did you think of the Swamp match in particular, Jimmy? What did you think of it? Well... I personally am not a fan of the cinematic style matches. I don't feel that they really have a place in pro wrestling because pro wrestling is meant to take place in the ring surrounded by fans. I don't want to get too deep into this. I don't want to consume our time. But I personally think WWE and all other wrestling promotions, let's not leave the rest out, could have benefited from taking a much needed hiatus and, you know, cracking down, spending that time to come up with some interesting stories that people would want to be interested in. Because as fascinated as I might be with the Bray Wyatt character or some other characters like a Keith Lee or an Aleister Black, the WWE is doing record low ratings. Nobody's watching, even though they're all stuck home for the most part. So that means that even though the fans are stuck home, they're not watching. They just pulled a 1.1 Nielsen rating. That is horrendous compared to six years ago, where they had six, where where they had they did I think it was a four point four. That's a sixty five percent decrease. That's massive. So I watched the Swamp match. Not gonna lie, because I will watch the pay per views here and there if there's a match I'm interested in. And I was interested really in just seeing what they were gonna do with the Wyatt character and Braun Strowman because I did feel a few years ago. They could have done something with him, even though I wasn't a fan. I recognized that he was popular. Um, You know, Bray is good in those cinematic-type presentations because I feel that his character is really out of a... It's out of a horror story. His character's out of a horror story. So he might benefit from that. I'll never accuse him of being a great in-ring worker. He's not going to... He's not going to give you a, a Briscoe Funk classic. Sure. But, you know, for his character, it was interesting. It was different. Um, did I really understand how to win? No, because they never clarified that. Because there's never been a precedent for something like this. So, as I mentioned, I liked it for what it was. But if I, I would much rather see these guys in the ring with an arena filled with fans. So... I enjoyed the match for what it was, but at the same time, I looked at it and said, as cool as this might be to some people, from, for the most part, it's going to be looked at as another cinematic match that really wasn't necessary. They should be on a hiatus, in my view. Okay, well, that's that's a good point. And like you said, that would be a whole other sphere. Because 
I tend to agree and disagree with you, if, if that makes any sense. I agree in that I personally feel that when this whole COVID thing started, if the WWE, let's just stick with them, and yeah. if they had gone on hiatus initially and said, hey, folks, NBA went on hiatus, NHL went on hiatus, we're going on hiatus, and use this time to let all the wrestlers heal up their injuries, mm-hmm. spend time with their family, uh, you know, if, if any of the female, safe. yeah, be safe. If any of the females wanted to have a family, have a baby, they, they could have used that opportunity to experiment with that, uh, so to speak. And instead the show must go on, you know, the WWE, the show went on folks right here in Florida. And for me, once that decision was made, I'm willing to go with it because I think there have been some improvements in the product, for instance, some of these edge interviews backstage, um, the Orton edge match, the quote, greatest match ever quote. I thought just two things about that match bothered me was the collar and elbow tie up at the beginning with edge and Orton, Mm -hmm. but I, right. The the under the camera shot, everything else I kind of liked. So my feeling was, is once they've made that decision, the show must go on kind of like the Saudi Arabian thing. No one's more opposed to the Saudi Arabian shows than me. But once you've decided to do it, okay, we got Natalia Neidhart versus Lacey Evans. Uh, we got this guy, uh, Mansoor, wrestling on 205 Live. So once they decide to do it, if you let them go down that path, then you have to see the pluses and minuses of going down that route. Fair that enough. Being, Fair yeah, enough. So, so that being said, with this Swamp match, the way that I cope with WWE now, Jimmy, is is I watch on one computer and I'm doing something else on another computer at the same time. If 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 I were to sit there with a TV and a bucket of popcorn and just watch WWE, I don't think I could get through it. Um, but what I've noticed about you is you put a lot of time and energy into what I call the fantasy booking. And I've listened to some of your fantasy booking sessions and I've jo- enjoyed them. Uh, but my question for you is, can you share with us, the, the Wrestling With The Future podcast audience, who maybe have never heard you before, what do you think they could have done with Bray? What are some of your ideas with Bray that you don't mind sharing with our audience? If you were the no, booker? I no, I don't mind at all. I mean, my philosophy when it comes to booking a talent that's less established, but obviously has the tools to be something more is to allow them to become something more. Uh, you take a character like Bray Wyatt, his first program on the WWE stage was with Kane. You don't have Kane beat him. You put Bray over. Why? Because Kane, number one, he was already a bona fide Hall of Famer long before he fought Bray. So it wasn't going to hurt Kane. Then they put him in there with the most popular wrestler that they had at the time and Daniel Bryan. And While I, as a fan of Daniel Bryan, may not have wanted to see him lose that program, the bottom line was it was the right decision because Bray Wyatt faced Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble. If you recall that match, I don't know if you do, but it was easily one of the best matches of the year. Now, yes, we could say Daniel Bryan, the great in-ring technician that he is, contribute to that more than Wyatt, but if you watch the match, the storytelling, the facial expressions, the, the need to do moves, the, re- the reasoning to do moves. Like, they didn't just do a move just for the sake of doing it. No, there was a purpose behind it. Brian going through the middle of the ropes to do a suicide dive, and Bray catches him, and Sister Abigail's him into the, the, Sister Abigail's him into the guardrail, following up on the fact that Brian had a concussion a few weeks prior. You know, actually using 
the move for a specific reason because of capitalizing on the injury. And then you go the very next month to Elimination Chamber where it's the Wyatts versus the Shield. Neither of these groups are really established names. They're both still relatively new, and the crowd ate it up. Right. There wasn't a shit ton of false finishes, kicking out of finishing moves. It was just six young guys beating the crap out of each other. It told a story, and they put Wyatt over, which was the smart thing to do. Because Reigns, they already knew they were going to try to do something with him, so there was no reason to sacrifice Bray. But then the wheels fell off at WrestleMania 30 when they had Bray Wyatt face the guy in John Cena who's been put over more than anyone else. And instead of actually, you know, um, taking what they were using in the match, which I thought was actually pretty smart at the time, where Bray introduced the steel chair into the match, you don't even have to have Bray beat him with the sister Abigail. Have Cena use the steel chair on Bray Wyatt, get disqualified, so that way the people that don't identify with him can say, you know what, Bray got in his head. He screwed with him. He lost it. Or have Cena not use the chair, be distracted, get hit with the sister Abigail. You know what, he couldn't bring himself to use the chair. I respect that but you still don't damage the character. And I'm going to use one of their head writers as an example in Bruce Pritchard. In one of the WWE recent documentaries where they talked about Kane's debut, well, we have Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. They're fighting inside Hell in a Cell. We can't have either one really beat the other, so we have to make sure that they stay whole. Well, why wasn't it a priority to keep Bray Wyatt whole? Instead, they had John Cena beat him in a glorified three-on-one handicap match with both Harper and Rowan interfering, and then it gets even worse with the next month where they're having a steel cage match. All three of those guys couldn't beat John Cena. It takes a fourth member of the Wyatt family, which was a little kid singing a voice in a gargled voice. It takes four people to beat him. And then we go to Payback, which is the which was the finish to the feud, and Cena beat him clean as a whistle. And you know what? That was the beginning of the end. People could say that that was used for storyline purposes, but if you actually dissect his career, right. that was the beginning. You know this as well as I do, sir. Once they get comfortable with beating you, it's over. Because what happened at the next year's WrestleMania? Yes, people could say he wrestled The Undertaker, but The Undertaker, who no longer had the streak, which I still argue was a major mistake because nothing positive came out of it, did Bray need to lose that match? The Undertaker streak was already over. It was done. No harm would have came to The Undertaker if he would have done the job for Wyatt. And then you go to the year, then you could even go months later at the Survivor Series where Wyatt and Harper wrestled Taker and Kane. Did Taker and Kane have to win that match? They were both already... First ballot Hall of Famers. It wasn't necessary. Then you go to WrestleMania 32, where The Rock is having a segment. Here comes the Wyatts. You're thinking, oh, they're going to give Wyatt some shine. It'll take no, all three. They, take they were sacrificial lambs in he that was case. Sacrificial lamb. You tell me you right. couldn't send Heat Slater out for that? You're right. going to send a guy who's obvious, who's actually got some talent, has some promise, and you're going to sacrifice him to The Rock when you could send the jobbers out there for that? And then you go to WrestleMania 33. You know, right or wrong, Randy Orton's done so many things in his career that warrant that he lose his job. Drugs, shitting in other wrestlers' bags, the bullying backstage, the abuse of his power. Please see Kofi Kingston. Please see Mr. Kennedy. He faces Bray Wyatt after winning the Rumble, which I'm still trying to figure out why Orton needed to win the Rumble in 2017 when he was already a first ballot Hall of Famer. And not only does Bray win the belt... But less than a month later, he loses it to Orton. And think about this. They took the belt off Bray just so that Orton could lose it to Jinder Mahal 
because he found some secret sauce that they didn't have a proper drug test for. That's the way I look at it. So my issue with the way they booked Wyatt is if you're not going to put him over, don't put him up against those established names because all you're doing is putting a ceiling on him that the casual audience will see because they don't give a damn about me or you because we've been watching wrestling our whole lives. They care about the casual audience. Right. Well, if you care about the casual audience, you have to validate all of those characters that are going to lead this company into the future in the eyes of those fans. You can't do that and then beat them against named talent. And I ask a simple question to those that would oppose me. Why is it okay for Roman to beat The Undertaker? Why is it okay for him to beat John Cena? Why is it okay for him to beat Randy Orton? But Bray Wyatt can't. I don't understand this. Especially, they're going to say, all oh, the ratings, the merchandise. When at both times that Roman got the belt, the ratings tanked. You could ask any of the guys on the page. Didn't, didn't Bray Wyatt once have the top merchandise? Wasn't he the top merchandise guy at one point, Bray Wyatt? He currently is right now, sir. Okay, so Jimmy, let me ask you this. And and look, this is from one hardcore wrestling fan to the other. Do you, uh, life, did you ever aspire? Do you still aspire to work for the WWE as a writer? Did you ever apply? No, sir. I have no desire to ever work for the WWE because I understand that it's an environment where they write for an audience of one. They don't write for the actual audience. They write for one old individual in the back. If I thought for a single second that they were actually going to write for an audience... I would have no problem applying for a creative position. And I have a feeling I'd knock a few people off. I'd knock a few socks off because booking wrestling is not difficult. If you put your ego aside, you could write some great stuff. See, if I was a writer, I wouldn't just book Bray to win all his matches. You know, you could ask any of the guys on the page. I was going to do a video before I took a break from the page on who I would have booked to be the first guy to beat The Fiend. And it actually would have made sense. And it actually would have made a star. I wouldn't have just fed him to a guy that was in his prime when I was seven years old. No, that was ridiculous and it was stupid. That's why they get, and they get the backlash that they get because Ray Charles Blind is a back concede that that was a bad decision. Not just because I don't want to see Wyatt lose. That's ridiculous. Everyone loses in wrestling. Some more than others. Sure. But, but the point I'm trying to make is when you're going to beat a character that is gaining steam, there's got to be a reason for it. There's got to be a storyline purpose for it. There's got to be an actual reason. It's no different than Asuka, not to get off topic, but when Asuka lost her undefeated streak to Charlotte, I was still sitting there. I'm still to this day scratching my head wondering, why did this happen? What was the purpose? Mania two and a half years ago. Yeah, I'm still, I still can't understand what was the purpose. What, pos what, what positive factor came out of that? And... I'm going to quote my former co-host, Frank, because it's a very smart statement to make. If you have a match that doesn't benefit either person, you don't do it. It's very easy, sir. Here's a here's a, my take on their take on it, which is why a woman like Charlotte Flair wins matches that, you know, we think she probably should have lost, whether it's Oscar at Mania or why did Charlotte probably have a 60 or 70% winning advantage over Sasha Banks once they got to the main roster. My hey, opinion is is that Vince McMahon in particular, and I don't say I agree with him, but I'm saying that this is what I think he thinks or how he thinks, is that the fans want to have certain bookings that they disagree with because the hate watch is a part of it. Like if we, if we piss the fans off by having Charlotte beat Oscar, they're going to 
tune in Monday night on Raw after Mania to see what happens next. So there's a certain amount of booking that's done. Even uh, Jinder Mahal would be a very radical case. If we, they, they're really going to hate this, and if they really hate it, they're going to be forced to watch our show to see how we make up for it. Now, the problem is when they don't make up for it. The problem is when they continually to give us bookings that we disagree with. And I'd say that, you know, after three or four years of being the angry wrestling fan and doing videos about Mm. that on YouTube, I think my own raw protest has proven to be correct. Look at all these. Yeah. Look at all these fans that are leaving, you know, and, and for the first year or two of the raw protest, people say, Oh, Mike, you're full of shit. No one watches your videos. No one cares. Well, obviously whether, people do. Obviously, uh, people do. Not giving uh, your, your not giving your protest one hundred fifty percent credit for people leaving, but I have no doubt that people have seen that video, have actually sat and thought about it, because you're right. There probably is some sort of logic behind. Oh, if we piss them off enough, they'll want to tune in to see this happen. Well, I would counter Vince McMahon with this: If you didn't have more people tuning in after you ended the Undertaker's undefeated streak to see Brock get his. You're not going to piss them off to want to watch anything because you would think, and Jim Ross described this perfectly, Brock was basically Bruce Dern that night. He shot John Wayne in the back. Right. And there was really, you know, the ratings continued to go down. And here we are in 2020. They're approaching that 1.0 margin. And I've been asking this question for years, and maybe you can answer this for me. When do you hit the panic button? When do you finally say, okay, we need to change something here or we're going to lose everything? I think they they've should have been pushing that panic button a long time ago is the answer. Agreed. And uh, the gentleman, Vinny, on the uh, Brian Alvarez discussion, a, 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 a Simpavini or something is his name, he okay. was saying about three or four months ago when the ratings were, were bad but not quite this bad, he was <laughs> saying similar to what you just said, which is, uh, Alvarez was saying, Hey, I think the ratings have hit the low point and they're just going to stay here at a 1.5 or a two. And Mike Simpavini was saying, no, they can get worse. And he's yeah. been proven correct. They have gotten worse. And this counter, uh, argument that some folks have that it's because of DVDRs or it's because of YouTube TV or because people watch highlights on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That, that's a part of it. But the thing is, not that many people a week go out and get a DVDR or YouTube TV or watch clips on YouTube that didn't the week before. <laughs> there, there's oh, such not. when you lose sixty five percent of your audience in le- in less than six years, it's not the cord cutting, it's not the YouTube, it's not the virus, it's you, and you right. have. And the first step, you you know this because you're a highly intelligent individual. The first step to fixing a problem is admitting you have one. I don't right. even think that they've reached that stage because they think we're swimming in money. It doesn't matter that people aren't watching. We're the WWE. We're going to exist forever. That's Triple H told Carl Anderson. We're going to be here forever. You sure you want to sign with AEW? And I and I sat there and I heard that statement. Well, they're that arrogant that they think that they're too they're too big to fail. That's like too fat to diet. It's not true. It's not true. Right. No business is too big to fail. None. Look at Toys R Us and look at Sears. Come on. Sure. Well, RC Cola was once the number one, number three cola in the company uh, in the country. Now this this is going to segue uh, because we're coming up on the half hour mark. Okay. So what I want to do, Jimmy, is I, I want to see if you can stick around for a second episode back to back. I can. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to segue into our next topic, which is we've established that you and I both know the problems of the WWE creatively. Other people do as well. These Facebook groups, whether it's the Wrestling with the Future podcast, the group that you and I think uh, Frank started, the One Wrestling Network page. um, UN. Yep. Yep. Shane McKenna's wrestling fans. Uh, my buddy Neil Jones has a nice group in your head wrestling, uh, wrestle talk, all these, all these, I'm in, I'm in like 20 or 30 groups, just join pro wrestling uncensored pro wrestling and MMA extreme. And, and, and although I've been playing the heel for a couple of years in these groups, my point is to always educate and always say to these other wrestling fans, Hey, if you're 35 years old, you're 25 years old and you haven't sat down and given yourself three and a half hours to watch Starcade 1983, or the highlights of the Crockett Cup 87, or if you haven't even watched WrestleManias 1, 2, and 3, what are you waiting for? You know, because these are some of the, the foundational episodes of what the modern-day sports entertainment is. No, now, absolutely, especially that Starcade event. I mean, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood going up against the Briscoes. You got that freaking dog collar match with Valentine and Piper. One yep. of the best, one of, to me, one of the most underrated matches that I've ever seen. Of course, the cage match with, with Flair and Harley Race, where Harley passed the torch to Flair. Now, just a quick question, because I'm you. I figure you might know the answer. Do we know why the U.S. title wasn't on the line in that dog collar match? That's a good because question. Uh, because uh, both of them went over to the WWF shortly thereafter. They put the U.S. title on Dick Slater shortly after that match. I think it was because they knew Piper was leaving. Oh, and they- okay. And, and they didn't want to give him the belt, so they got it to Dick Slater. Hey, Jimmy, we're going to wrap up this episode. On the next episode of Life Lessons with Mike and Jimmy, we're going to discuss how the wrestling affects us as fans and if we're putting too much emotions into it. So this is Mike Messier with Jimmy Faluca, and we'll see you on the next episode. Come back for round two. Hello, folks. This is Mikey Messier with Life Lessons with our special guest, Jimmy Faluca. Episode number two with Jimmy. And uh, we want to say thanks to uh, Angelo, Psychic Medium, the producer of the Wrestling with the Future Life Lessons with Mikey Messier. Also, our sponsor, Manscaped.com, M A N S C A P E D.com, with the promo code Wrestling Future. Gets you 20% off all your purchases. And uh, Jimmy, let's get right back into it because we were talking shop and we were kind of talking about uh, Bray Wyatt in particular. We brought up some other wrestlers, uh, modern day, you know, 2014, 2015 to current 2020. And we both share this frustration. And I think it's not just you and I that share this frustration with how some of the talent is being worked. Some of the talent, uh, Dean Moxley or, or John, John Moxley, Moxley yeah. slash John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose in WWE. And before that, John Moxley, and we can go on all these tangents of, of wrestlers leaving WWE. Sometimes they show up like uh, Gallows and Anderson in, in Slammiversary for Impact Wrestling. Sometimes they show up in AEW. Uh, and, and that's not a new thing. We've seen that happen back in the days of uh, the Impact Zone. Christian Cage is in the Impact Zone. And before that, it was WCW. So this pattern of, of certain individuals who feel that they've been misused, mistreated, neglected by WWE booking, they weren't part of the inner elite, and they go elsewhere. And with the free enterprise system, that's the way it should be. 
What I'm concerned about, and, and often my concern for you, Jimmy, and, and, and I want you to take this the right way because it's from one creative guy to the other. When I see you in particular, but it's not just you. There's other guys that do it, even uh, JD from New York and, and my buddy Joe Cronin. But some of those guys, those podcast guys, have turned a profit from doing this stuff. You know, They've made a living. Uh, JD from New York and John, uh, Joe Cronin, my buddy, make money by doing podcasts and Patreon and so forth. And they're making a living by being angry wrestling fans, which is more than I've figured out how to do. My concern is when creative guys like yourself and me, we get so caught up in pro wrestling, so caught up in WWE feeling that, man, if only they would do this, if only they would do that, why did they do this? Why did they do that? I know that you were working on a book at one point and maybe you still are. I've, I've got several screenplays that I'm always working on. And sometimes in the last two or three years, Jimmy, I've gut-checked myself and said, man, if I put as much interest into my own screenplays, into my own writing, as I did into the WWE, I'd be uh, making a million bucks every every month from selling a screenplay. And uh, not that I don't try, not that I'm not involved in, in entering script submissions and stuff like that, but... Sometimes I feel, like I said, the reflection can sometimes be painful, and I, I get concerned with guys like yourself in your 30s that are putting so much energy and effort into the WWE if there's nothing coming out from it. And, and I guess with that statement from me, what's your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on it are very simple, and it's the same energy that I put towards whenever someone brings up the ownership of the New York Mets. It's the same discussion I have whenever someone tries to bring up the ownership of the New York Knicks. And it's the same discussion I have whenever I'm talking to, whenever I'm talking to someone in regards to certain movie series like Star Wars. When I have to hear the person that's basically running the ship right now saying that they have absolutely no references to do more movies. When they have an entire book line filled with tons of material that people want to see told on the big screen. That's Abrams you're talking about? Yeah, not Abrams. The woman that's in charge. She's so... Okay. Her, she's so she aggravates me every time she opens her mouth. She turns around and she says, "We have absolutely no material, source material to go to do any other Star Wars movie, so we have to go back to the drawing board." Meanwhile, I have about ten books sitting on my bookcase here in my apartment, and it's all Star Wars, all different stories, not a single Skywalker in any one of them. So they have tons of stories that are waiting to be told with a fan base that just that is waiting for it. Just like the New York Knicks and the New York Mets fans that are waiting and wanting for new ownership that will actually put the money and the resources towards a championship, not just trying to get through the next fiscal quarter. And wrestling to me is no different, you know, because in life, there are, there are three things you invest in. You invest in yourself, you invest in your spouse, you invest in your kids. That's what you invest in. You're investing. Your family's already invested in you. If you have a good family, God willing, my parents are invested in me. My grandparents are invested in me. My sister's invested in me. I'm invested in my wife. I'm invested in my son and I'm invested in myself. That's why I haven't had a soda and I can't tell you how long because I'm, you know, my job as a human being is to take care of myself and be a productive person in society. I've been doing the second one. The first one, I wasn't doing so much. Yeah. And I lost a co-worker of mine prematurely at the age of 43. He suffered a massive heart attack in his sleep. Mm. And I was heading down that same road because he didn't take care of himself, unfortunately. And I wasn't taking care of myself. And now I started to, and I'm feeling better than I have in years. Great. 
So you have those things, the things you invest in. But then you also have the things that catch your eye. Like the first time I ever saw baseball, put on the Mets. My dad's a five-year-old me. I want to be like my dad, so I'm going to wear the Mets t-shirt. Before I know it, I'm totally engrossed in the series, fighting with other Yankee fans, cursing the Philadelphia Phillies. Then you get to the Knicks. You know, I get hit in the head with a crowbar once a day for loving that team. It just, it, they're not even a shadow of what they were in the 90s when we had Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewing and Allen Houston and the late great Anthony Mason and John Starks. We're not anywhere close to that. But I know that if they get the right ownership, they're going to go places. Like right now, the, there's more talk than there's ever been for the Mets to finally get some good ownership and get away from the Will Ponds and actually be willing to spend money. Because I guarantee if they had different ownership, back when Daniel Murphy dragged us to the World Series and he broke Mike Piazza's postseason record, they would have did everything in their power to re-sign him. But the Will Ponds didn't. So now every time we play him and he's on Washington, he kicks our ass. Right. And the Mets have done that multiple times, and it makes me want to bang my head up against the wall. It's no different with the WWE when I have to hear, oh, we have to bring back all of these part-timers because the young guys really aren't drawing anymore. And I counter with some sanity when I say, how could you expect the young guys to draw if you don't do right by them? And I could go from one talent to the other over the last six years that they have completely misused. Even guys that they want to succeed, like a Roman Reigns. I lost count of how many times they screwed his character by keeping him exactly the same. And I could go through the list, but that would be boring because most of your audience probably knows what I would be talking about. Sure. But back to the actual subject matter, which is the fan being emotionally invested. Correct. Most of us have been wrestling fans since we're kids. So you're already emotionally invested. It is not that simple to walk away from. I saw one of the DC movies, animated movies, and I couldn't stand it. I thought it sucked. I thought it was horrible, and I'm a diehard DC fan, and it aggravated me. But I'm still going to watch the next one because I'm a fan. That's what I do. Same thing with the Mets. They play like shit every year, but I'm not going to miss a game because they're my team. It's that simple. And I feel that a lot of times, especially these days, the reason that a lot of fans get overly emotional and they get upset especially when certain things take place, is because it's so simple. It's like, what is that television show? It's a cartoon. And there was this particular scene that I saw, and someone actually made a gif out of it, where it was this girl who's obviously slow, and she's driving a car in a parking lot that only has one car parked in it. And mm -hmm. her only task is to park the car in an empty space. There's about 100 empty spaces and only right. one. And what does she do? She crashes the car into the one parked car in the lot. That is WWE creative in a nutshell. Sure. In my opinion. And I could give you a laundry list of examples of how they've gotten me to that point. But again, I would just bore your audience to death because they probably have the same bit of frustration that I do. Now, I want to uh, jump in on this and talk about, you mentioned that it's like the sports fan for the New York Mets, or it could be any team. It could be the Washington, formerly the Redskins, whatever they're going to be called. I mean, whatever your team is, make it right. suck year, every year for five years. But you're holding out hope for that one year. Look at the Chicago Cubs fans. Who held on more than they did? And how good did it feel for them when their team finally won that World Series? I can only imagine what that felt like. I'm probably going to be an old man in my rocking chair 
when the Mets win a World Series, if I'm lucky. I mean, Brian Solomonster, who's a, is a great wrestling podcaster, once did a clip, uh, and this was going back six or seven years, where he said, why do, you know, he, his reaction was to, why do I still watch Raw when that I know that I'm not going to enjoy it? Habit and, and hope. Yeah, habit and hope. You heard it. Right. You got it. And um, I, I tend to agree with that, and I think Solomonster nailed it. And I think what's happening now, Jimmy, is that, a lot of people have lost hope, so they're yes. losing the habit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Once you break the habit and you and you lose hope, it's over. I can't, I can't even watch wrestling with my friends because so many of them have quit because that's how shitty it is. I have maybe three or four friends that still watch out of habit, but they will look me right in the face and say, my God, this is horrible. Like the last time I sat and watched wrestling with my friends mm-hmm. was to watch Wrestle Kingdom from two years ago, and we had a blast. Right. Actually, no. What's wrong with me? The first AEW paper. See, I can't even think of AEW because they're starting to turn me off. Mm. But, but like I said, you know, like actually, no. Pardon me. It's like what you just said. It's the habit and it's the hope. Once people break the habit and they realize that there is no hope, mm. they're not going to watch. I like I like I told you I can't remember the last time that I actually sat and watched a Raw or a SmackDown because it's completely pointless. It's well, completely pointless. Uh, I'm the guy that started Raw protest. Hats, hashtag Raw protest. October first, two thousand eighteen was the first. Thank you. And um, I, I basically went a solid year with one exception, which was the Roman Reigns uh, leukemia announcement night. Uh, the, I did watch that night out of respect to the guy. And because the show was being taped out of Providence, Rhode Island, which was very close to me at the time. And my feeling was every Monday night, Jimmy, and, and uh, for everyone who's listening, I would make a challenge to myself. I want to go see a movie. At the time, Movie Pass was something that I had, the app where you can see all the movies you want for a, a fee, for a monthly subscription fee. So I'd go see a film. <laughs> Uh, a lot of times I was the only guy in the theater. Sometimes I would just be in the coffee house working on my own scripts and I would check in on Twitter and Facebook and see all the fans who were mm-hmm. watching WWE getting angry about it. And, and sometimes I would make videos. I mean, I remember making a video after seeing a movie in the movie theater telling everyone what a great night I had. And, uh, I mean, I remember Aaron Riff of No DQ, whose job it is to watch wrestling because he's got these successful wrestling websites and he did a week where he went to a concert with his girlfriend on a Monday night. And he said this is the first time since the Attitude Era, since like 97, 98, that he purposely missed a Monday Night Raw in 23 years or something. So my point was not to basically just to provoke a conversation within each fan that they have a choice in life. They don't have to slavishly watch Monday Night Raw or AW Dynamite or whatever show that they feel that they are obliged to watch. You don't have an obligation to watch. They have an obligation to make you want to watch. Yes. And if, if they fail, in this case, WWE, it could be AW, it could be anybody, other, other company, Impact Wrestling, if they fail in their responsibility to consistently entertain you, then they failed you before you failed them. And I, I just really did feel that for whatever reason, although we're all grown men and most wrestling fans, I hate to say it, are men, but there are some wonderful exceptions like your uh, very own sister, women wrestling fans, and we have more great women wrestlers now than ever before. Yes. But I feel if you are consistent... There's a lot more women wrestling fans out there than you realize. So many 
so many, and I've noticed a lot of them, a lot of them like the darker characters for some for some reason. They, they gravitate toward the darker characters. Well, that's a great conversation, and maybe that's because they, they find them uh, alluring. They, they could find them tall, dark, and handsome like an Undertaker type or, or even a Bray Wyatt type, or maybe it kind of chimes into the fantastical or the medieval or the, you know, the fairy tales or whatever. But my, my basic point is don't feel as if you owe these people anything. Look, I grew up a Washington Redskins fan. I went to a Super Bowl parade. My mom took me out of school to see a Super Bowl parade for the Washington Redskins. I'm dating myself here. But <laughs> the, the point is, uh, these guys were like icons and heroes. And every once in a while, you'd hear, you know, like my dad and my stepmother were in a restaurant. And they saw a big Dexter Manley coming through. And they talked to Dexter Manley for a few minutes. And I've met Joe Theismann, who is the Redskins winning quarterback. I've talked to him for a few minutes. I met... Uh, I think it was Gary Clark, and I've met Mark Mosley and so forth. These were iconic Washington Redskins guys. Mm -hmm. But once Dan Snyder, the current owner, bought the team, and he just had a real different vibe than the previous owner, Jack Kent Cook, my interest in the Washington Redskins, a lot of people's interest in the Washington Redskins started to falter. Mm -hmm. And 10, 15, 20 years into this Dan Snyder owner, our team, the Washington Redskins or Washington Warriors, Washington Red Tails, whatever they become known as, we started to become a, a football stadium that was the host for visiting teams. Suddenly, when the New England Patriots fans want to come to Washington and take over the uh, stadium, they will. Or when the Cowboys fans want to come. You see what I'm saying? Uh, because Snyder was such a piss-poor owner, it wasn't the fans that... that turned from the team it was the ownership and the direction and the rg3 debacle and, and all these things bringing it back the fans away it turned the fans away exactly so my point is although we look at wwe now and we think well they're always going to be in business they're always going to be the number one company i i can see that in our lifetime the wwe could crumble it could be it, bought it, out it absolutely can it's more than capable there is no bit. We said this in the in our last episode. There is not a single business that is incapable of going out. No, nothing. Nothing lasts forever, and the cause and effect will be what is debated. The cause will be all oh, it existed for so long. It was just a matter of time. But people like you and I are going to point to times like now, times like a few years ago, where they made piss poor decisions, where. I believe you mentioned, oh, Vince likes to do shock value where people will tune in to watch. No, eventually you get the bad heat where you piss people off so bad where they say, you know what? Right. I'm done. And when you, when you said that just now, Jimmy, what came to my mind for whatever reason is Nicholas winning a tag team championship at WrestleMania. For whatever reason, they had, uh, you know, look, we can go down bad booking Hall of Fame decisions oh. online. We could do but, two episodes just on bed booking from the last two years. Right. Just the last two years. We could dissect the whole thing if we wanted to. Right. But my point, and this is what I was trying to get at with this episode, is at one point, do intelligent guys like yourself, creative guys like yourself, who, who you told me at uh, one point off the record you were working on a novel, and I've written a novella, and, and I have several screenplays. I've won 33 awards in film and TV. And if, if I were to put my entire dedication, thank you. If I were to put my entire dedication to the Mike Messier 
fantasy world. And instead of having all these wrestling action figures in my room, if I were to have, you know, if I were to hire some college kid to draw me illustrations of the characters from my scripts, and if I were to write passages of my scripts on my wall as a positive reinforcement, and if I were to turn off the TV and never watch wrestling again and save 10 hours a week, maybe I'd have more success as a screenwriter. If I, if I had that level of dedication to my own creativity, and I guess that's why I don't use myself as an illustration necessarily of what to do. I use oftentimes myself as an illustration of what one could do or what one shouldn't do. And and I just wonder, as a hardcore wrestling fan like I am and like you are, are we putting too much stock into this stuff? What do you think? Well, my my philosophy is this. Don't ever let something that is like a television show or a sports team control your life. There is fandom, and then there's obsession. There is a fine line, and some people walk that line pretty badly. Mm -hmm. I can tell you for myself, wrestling doesn't control my life, despite what some on our page might think. It doesn't control my life. The things that will upset me in life, if a family member is sick, if I lose a family member, which I did during this virus, mm. you know, the issues with your job because you, you need that job in order to have what you have. Right. You know, be able to put food in your son's belly to make sure that your wife knows that you could provide for her. Those are things to stress over. I'm not going to lose sleep if the Mets don't re-sign someone that hits a thousand home runs for them. I'm going to come on shows like this and call them idiots, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. If they have Bray Wyatt go on television, the next pay-per-view, and have him do a 10-second job to hornswoggle, am I going to come on the page and talk about how freaking ridiculous they are and how dumb Vince is? You're damn right I'm going to. But am I going to lose sleep over it? No. Because it's not something to lose sleep over. Because at the end of the day, they're both going to get paid, and they both probably don't give a shit. But that doesn't mean that we as intelligent human beings, intelligent men, intelligent wrestling fans can't come on our show or each other's show or one of our pages and talk about just how silly and ridiculous these decisions are and how the evidence that we have presented clearly points to the fact that they are chasing their viewers off. They're, and they're not coming back. You know, we are living in a time right now in the United States where more people are home consistently than they've ever been in the last 50 years. Right. Back in the 20s and the 30s, things were stricter. You had a 9 o'clock curfew, or maybe earlier, depending on what household you were in. But in the last 50 to 60 years, today, more people are stuck home than they've ever been. Sure. By law. And they're choosing not to watch. They're not, not watching because they're going out. They're, they're not yeah. watching because they got a date. They're not not watching because reruns of Friends are on. No, they're choosing not to watch because, quite frankly, the evidence points to it. The show sucks. It's not entertaining to watch. No, it's let, not. No, it's not. Add, that's why I feel terrible because I feel bad about that because I am a wrestling fan of many years. The right. first wrestling show I ever went to when I was three years old, I shook hands with The Undertaker. And, and ever since, I was a fan. My dad took me to the matches in MSG. Those are memories I'll take with me for the rest of my life. Um, some of my fondest memories involve wrestling. 
I met my wife because of wrestling. Brett the Hitman Hart actually wished me a happy 30th birthday. And he mentioned that he remembered I met my wife at his signing. Mm. You know, because a friend of mine must have, a friend of mine reached out to him and told him, just so you know, the guy you met, he met his wife when he met, went to your signing. And he went into this whole thing about how he was very happy that he could play a small part in a big thing that happened in my life. And you know what? If it wasn't for wrestling, I wouldn't have met my friend Joe Valenti, who's one of my best friends. And, I, and if this ever reaches him, I love him to death. He's like my brother. I would have never met my wife. You know, aside from my son, there's no one I love more. You know, so because of wrestling, I have a lot of things that I love. But by the same token, I have some of these memories that I wish I could just erase. You know, some of the stupid asinine decisions that they could have benefited from. And that's what gets me. They could have benefited from a lot of these things that they could have done. And they chose not to. And not to get into this. But I firmly believe, and I don't know where you stand on this, but I firmly believe, Mike, that after Brock Lesnar left the WWE in 2004, after they invested a ton into him, and I'm sure you recall. Sure. Yeah, Ohio Valley and everything. Hogan, Angle, Rock, Rock, Flair, all of them did jobs for Lesnar and did and put him over in a big way. Probably no one more so than Taker. No one has ever put Lesnar over more than Taker has. That's indisputable especially if you count what happened in New Orleans. Right. But after Lesnar picked up and left after all that, I believe that Vince made a conscious decision that he was never, ever going to allow someone to get past a certain point to run the risk of them leaving and then not getting a maximum return on that investment. And that's why you got the force-fed push of John Cena for 10 years. You followed that up with the force-fed push of Roman Reigns because Vince wants the people in that position that he feels he can control long enough that he don't have to worry about them leaving. Yes, Cena ended up going to Hollywood to do a few B-movies, but for how many years was he the only choice that Vince was really offering? Even when CM Punk was the WWE champion, who was in the main events? Who got to beat all the legends? Who was the one that was put over as the greatest champion of all time? Beat even the, though during the next, his... Nexus 7 on 1, sure. Oh, please. The Nexus is one of the biggest pieces of evidence to show that John Cena was a horrible, you know, horrible one. If there was ever a Mount Rushmore of wrestling politics, his face is on that mountain next to Hogan and Triple H. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. All those times that CM Punk was outselling him in merchandise and was getting the loudest positive reaction. And they didn't need to show Make-A-Wish kids. They didn't need to show injured troops. All he had to do was walk through the curtain and the people were like, we love this guy. You know, and I still argue, corporate John Cena versus anti-hero CM Punk would have been the most realistic storyline since Austin and McMahon. Maybe wouldn't have drawn as much money, but it would have gained some damn good interest. Uh, they had Daniel Bryan that had how many different sports teams doing the yes chant? Right. Uh, the, um, the, C the Seattle Seahawks, the New York Islanders, the Phoenix Suns, all doing the yes chant. If I'm Vince, I'm getting someone from my company to get on the horn with these other sports teams and say, hey, listen, let's make money together. Your team wants to do his chant? Not a problem. Let's sell merch and let's make money. But because Bryan wasn't who they really wanted... They didn't care about doing that. 
It wasn't a priority for them because they're prior. And Brian talked about this in his book. Right before WrestleMania 30, he and Vince had a conversation and Vince told them, I want Roman Reigns to be the next John Cena. He said it right to Brian's face. And Brian was the most popular guy that they had in how many years? How insulting that must have been where this guy wasn't even a proven singles commodity and Vince was looking to put the rocket ship on him. Because that's the mentality of, of, of Vince. I, I want to make sure that I'm in full control of who the top guy is and everyone else be damned. And that, to me, is one of the contributing factors to why you have wrestling fans that get angry. You have wrestling fans that get burned because they get invested in these guys. And then they go nowhere. And they have every right to feel that way. Because if it wasn't for the fans... WCW would have eaten Vince alive. Remember, WCW was murdering them in the ratings. Right. was killing them in storyline. And then you get Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince didn't even want to go with Steve. He wanted to go with Rocky Maivia. But because he had a gun to his head called WCW, he had no choice. And what did he get as a result? He not only got one of the greatest characters he ever had in Austin, he got The Rock to get over the right way. Rock became one of the biggest stars of all time, a megastar. Austin became one of the biggest stars of all time, a megastar. And they were able to fight off WCW and overtake them. If they were operating the way they operate now back then, the WWE dies. That is a fact. That's my diatribe. Well, I like the diatribe. And I guess what I would contribute to that, uh, Jimmy, is I, I really do feel that, look, everybody gets older. Uh, the greatest writers in the world, the greatest directors in the world, the greatest actors, the greatest athletes, the greatest priests, people, everything. Eventually, you get older, and you're not going to do as well. And and I, I have no offense to Vince McMahon Jr., but I believe he's gotten to the point where we have a law of diminishing returns. And I, I do suspect mm-hmm. it's just very, a good way to put it. Very, yeah. very good way to put it. That actually perfectly, to me, it perfectly describes the legends because they rely on them so much. Every time you bring them back, it is the law of diminishing returns. You think Brock is as, as big of a star as he was when he first came back from the UFC? Of no. course he's not because you because they've had to rely on him so much because they've dug a hole for themselves with, with their, you know, their business style of not wanting to make megastars, of wanting to just keep, every, keep they want the brand to be the megastar not the stars. And unfortunately, pro wrestling's not that kind of business. People watched pro wrestling because they wanted to see stars. You watched the NWA because you wanted to see Ric Flair. You wanted to see Dusty Rhodes. You tuned into the WWF back in the 80s because you wanted to see Hulk. You wanted to see Andre. You wanted to see Ultimate Warrior. You wanted to see Macho Man. In the Attitude Era, you wanted to see Austin, Rock, Taker, DX, the NWO, Sting, the Horsemen. You wanted it because that was the name talent. They don't want name talent anymore. And that's a pro- That's going to be, to me, if they do end up going under Mike, to me, that's going to be the ultimate factor of what does them in. Well, I want to tell you what, we're not going to go over our allotted time, but I'm going to have you right back for a third and final episode. And uh, once again, Wrestling with the Future has a great sponsor in Manscaped.com. Men's grooming needs the uh, the new lawnmower 3.0. Don't shy from guys. We all got to do maintenance. That's right. Manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. 
And the promo code is Wrestling Future. So for Jimmy Faluca out of New York and Mikey Messier out of Florida, we will see you next time on Life Lessons with Mikey Messier. Hello, everybody. This is Mikey Messier with Life Lessons with Mikey Messier. We're kind of doing an interesting thing. We're doing a three-part series with Jimmy Faluca. And Jimmy's out of New York. I'm here in Florida. And we're talking about professional wrestling. Now, Life Lessons with Mikey Messier, part of the Wrestling with the Future podcast series. Most of my episodes of Life Lessons is basically me kind of sharing anecdotal advice for folks. These episodes, I wanted to get a hardcore wrestling fan, uh, Jimmy Faluca, and basically talk shop about wrestling. So, uh, Jimmy, on this third and final episode we're going to do together uh, in this series, the topic I want to bring, because it's kind of the way you and I connected, so it's it's one of these, you know, chicken or the egg type of things in some regard, or you take the good for the bad. And, and look, because of social media, I connected with Vince Russo. That got me on the brand network for a night. And and overnight, my IMDb rating went up. A lot of the brand uh, fans reached out to me. Uh, I started doing spots on Generating Heat podcast with JG. I quickly had a podcast with a guy named, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, good guy, <laughs> Cole Sharp. Cole Sharp, sorry, Cole. Cole Sharp and I did a show together called uh, What Have They Done to Our Sport? Hashtag What Have They Done to Our Sport? Um, eventually, I met a guy named Brian Danovich and did uh, the Brian Danovich show. I that, When Brian passed away, I took over his spot for a while and did the Foreign Object. And then I got on the Wrestling with the Future podcast network, and here I am with the T-shirt. And so my very point good is show to listen to guys, very good show to listen to with some very interesting guests with some great stories to tell. Thank you. Yeah. We had Ron Fuller, Ron Fuller, who promoted Southeast wrestling. We had Jimmy Valiant, Magnum TA, my uh, point, Magnum, one of the uh, most underrated workers. And let me tell you something. I feel terrible for what he had to go through. I don't think there's any doubt he would have been NWA champion. No oh, doubt. Yeah. Yep. And so, but my point is all that stuff came from social media, all that stuff, because was, it was, I was on wrestling Twitter one night, April of 2018 and Vince Russo put out a tweet and I responded to it. And then the next thing you know, all those wonderful things happen. So I'm not going to sit here and, you know, piss on Twitter or piss on Facebook altogether. But what I want to talk with Jimmy tonight and have a conversation about is the role of professional, uh, uh, the role of social media in professional wrestling and vice versa. Uh, Jimmy, what are your opening thoughts on that? Well, it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. In one way, it's good in the aspect of wrestling fans that would have never met each other before get to meet now. Like, if it wasn't for social media, you and I wouldn't know each other. If it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't have met a lot of guys that I have on the page that they message me now just to see how I'm doing. We have conversations that have absolutely zero to do with wrestling. Um, They actually take the time to call me just to shoot the breeze to see how I'm doing. Um, It's good in the aspect of that. If you're not watching like me and you don't watch raw or SmackDown regularly, but if we want to know what's going on without having to change the channel or stop what we're doing, we can find out, we can find out what's going on. But on the other aspect, it is bad. Because I feel that with the social media, it takes away a little bit from the mystique of the business that it once had. However, you know, as a counter argument to that, a lot of those secrets wouldn't be out if, you know, my friend Larry said this 
and it's actually one of the truer statements I've heard. He said, kayfabe is only dead because the WWE chose to kill it. Right. So, you know, uh, it's bad in the sense of that it takes away a little bit of that mystique, but it's also their own choosing to go down that path. The business chose to go down that path. I don't know a single wrestling organization that has worldwide exposure that doesn't use social media. Everyone from New Japan, uh, Ring of Honor, WWE, Impact, um, I mentioned Japan, I think, AEW, they all use the internet. They, and they try to use it to their advantage. However, because of the rumors that come out, you know, you know, it kind of feeds a little bit into the fire of what we see on television. Because let me tell you something. I don't think I needed to see a single dirt sheet to know that John Cena was the chosen one. All you had to do was watch the show. You don't need to read, oh, Vince McMahon said that this guy feeds us to know that he valued him more than anyone else. You mentioned the Nexus angle earlier on. You know, it was obvious what road they should have went down and they chose not to. Why? Because of one person's opinion. Right. Um, you know, you really don't need, and I, I believe this because I haven't read a single dirt sheet and I can't tell you how long. I don't really, you know, spend the time to, to pay for a subscription. I feel bad for the wrestling fans that do because I feel like they're getting conned because you really don't need to pay to find these things out. You could just find out just by knowing what goes on on the show. So I feel a lot of wrestling fans get conned in that aspect. But I also feel there's another aspect. There's the aspect of that you have certain wrestling fans that come on the internet, which is, this is the, this is going to be an oxymoron here. Sure. They will come on the internet and they will look at someone like you or me and say, you are a member of the IWC, so your opinion doesn't matter. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here laughing my fat rear end off, trying to keep the show clean here with language. Sure. <laughs> um, you're on the internet talking about wrestling, but yet you're not a member of the internet wrestling community? Right, I right. don't understand how that necessarily works. See, what I feel that is, is a certain segment of the audience trying to segregate demonize and discredit the fan that doesn't just take what they're spoon-fed. See, you have standards. You will not just be spoon-fed crap and pretend it's filet mignon. You're right. not going to do that because you know, you know what? You could think for yourself, yeah, that angle wasn't too bad or that one kind of sucked. Why did they do that? There are some people that when you make statements like that, apparently you're a horrible human being. And I think that that's silly. I think it's absolutely silly. So whenever I see someone that uses phrases like internet wrestling community, oh, you're a smart mark, things like that, that makes me laugh. Because anyone above the age of reason is smart to the business. If you're above the age of 10 and you don't know that it's a show, I feel sorry for you. I guess one thing I, it makes me think of a couple of things when you're talking there, Jimmy, uh, I thought of my, you know, and I could consider him a friend of mine, but one thing that I have a little bit of a disagreement on with Vince Russo is his show, Castrating the Marks. Have you ever heard of that show or watched it, Jimmy? No, sir. I have never heard of that show. And just by, just by the <laughs> name of the title, I have no intention of listening to it. Well, what Vince, what Vince and his um, co-hosts do on the show, Castrating the Marks, uh, is they basically, the marks would be Brian Alvarez, Dave Meltzer, Bruce Mitchell, and, and other wrestling writers. Uh, I think they had to retire Ryan Satin 
him from the show because they used him so much or something happened. But basically what they'll do with these guys is they'll bring up uh, audio clips from the dirt sheet writers, whether it's Alvarez uh, or Wade Keller, and um, they will play clips of the dirt sheet writers doing their shtick. And then Vince Russo will basically analyze and have a big laugh about what these guys said and how off the mark they are. Now, this is a little bit of retribution because a lot of these writers, Meltzer and Wade Keller and Alvarez, have been very critical of Vince Russo throughout his wrestling writing career. So in a sense, this is Russo getting a little bit of revenge. My issue with the show, although it is funny, the show is funny, is oh. that you're kind of, I guess I just don't like the the word castrating. It's a little, uh, you know, to castrate someone is, is pretty physical and, and demeaning and, and, you know. You're basically um, but, emasculating someone. Right, right. So I find that that's a little bit rough. And then I guess what I take issue with is, and, and it's part of the things that they make fun of Meltzer in particular is Meltzer's a big Japanese wrestling fan, New Japan wrestling and so forth. And sometimes Vince Russo will take issue with the names of the Japanese wrestlers and how can you get into this stuff if you can't pronounce these guys' names is the basic overall vibe. Well, my opinion is, at that point, if you're criticizing wrestling fans for watching wrestling, but yet you worked in pro wrestling yourself, Vince Russo, then pots are calling kettles black and black, you know, and, and kettles are calling pots black. <laughs> Massive double standard there. Right. So, I mean, who's, if, if you're, and for instance, a couple of years ago, there was Wrestle Kingdom, which is a Japanese yearly show, yeah. I guess, in January. Yeah, it's Japan's WrestleMania, pretty much. Right. It takes place, like, a, in American time, like, four or five in the morning. And a lot of people on Twitter were getting excited about Wrestle Kingdom because they have the new Japan uh, streaming service, and they're getting excited, and they're all staying up late. And and Vince Russo had a big laugh about this. And my feeling is, well, wait a minute. How? Why are we to laugh at them for enjoying this new Japan wrestling show at 5 o'clock in the morning when, in fact, the WWE product has been so horrible? Why? And Vince Russo admits that it's horrible. Uh, why criticize the hardcore fan who's in finding some enjoyment out of wrestling even if they have to stay up till four or five in the morning now i can take myself to task jimmy because i go into some of these groups whether it's wrestling with the future podcast group or no dq or wrestling fans or the own group and i can critique other fans uh, and today you and i kind of had a thing where i was kind of critiquing your passion for the bray wyatt character and it wasn't out of uh, insult to you it was more like oh. hey Let's put a break on this because I, I get concerned if we get too into it. Now, I guess what I want to segue in, do the wrestling fans who kind of bitter, who, who go against each other, do you see that as a good thing, Jimmy, or a bad thing? Like you and Frank have this kind of epic, you know, Hatfields McCoy feud uh, or Von Erich Freeberg. never happened, which I never, ever thought was even plausible because Frank and I had a show that we did together for, let's see. We did a show together from January 2014 that ended at WrestleMania 33 when I went on the longest hiatus I ever went on when it came to wrestling, which was about a year, where mm. I just completely stepped away because I was disgusted by how The Undertaker's career had, quote-unquote, ended because we thought it was over. Right. Um, I was so disgusted with the fact that they had Roman Reigns beat him and then not turn heel with the amount of heat he had on him. I felt that it was basically Taker putting over the Golden Boy and nothing positive was going to come out of it, much like his loss at WrestleMania 30, 
I'm still waiting for someone to show me something positive that came out of it. And I haven't been presented with one. Um, to answer your question, I think it's a horrible thing. I think that we should all be on the same side. We should all want a great show. We should all have high standards. We should all demand our money's worth. And I feel in a lot of ways, people in the business, people like Vince Russo, people like Triple H, people like Vince have helped drive a wedge between a lot of wrestling fans because, because to certain wrestling, and I'm not going to mention names, but I used to be really close with this guy. He and I were really good friends until we weren't anymore because he would demean you in such a way if you made even the slightest critical comment about WWE. You're just a mark. You don't know anything. You're not backstage. I don't have to be Steven Spielberg to know whether or not the last Fantastic Four movie was a steaming pile of crap when I saw it in Best Buy for two bucks a year after its release. Mm. I don't need to be Robert De Niro to know whether or not a scene is any good. I don't need to be a five-star chef to know whether or not a pizza pie is cooked good or not. And right. I don't have to be in the wrestling business to know whether or not an angle is good or not. Ray Charles blind as a bat could see that the finish to the 2015 Royal Rumble was an abject failure. Because when you have Dwayne The Rock Johnson out there raising your hand and you're still getting booed and The Rock has a look on his face like he didn't expect that, you know you've done something wrong. And this is where I will give Vince Russo credit. Because he talked about that subject on Steve Austin's podcast, the Broken Skulls podcast. Right. And he said that if I was working at the WWE when that was happening, I would be literally begging Vince, buzz the referee, tell him to tell Reigns to flip off the crowd. Because Russo's style of booking, which I agree with, go where the audience is taking you. If they want to boo Roman, let them let him give them a reason to hate him. If right. they want to cheer for Kevin, I'm just throwing a name out there. If they want to cheer for Kevin Owens, let them. Don't insult their intelligence because that's how you turn people off. Now, that is where it plays into the, the rivalry between fan against fan. You have a segment of fans that think that you shouldn't even remotely suggest that they could be that the show could be improved. Just watch it. Just just sit down and be a good little fan. Be a good little mark. That, that's the worst mentality you could have. Because basically, in the way my mind works, what you're telling me is don't have any standards. Don't expect it to be good. Don't expect it to be better. Just shut up and watch the show. And that's been the WWE's mentality. Matter of fact, Jason Solomonster just did his podcast on Sunday and he recapped a promo Triple H cut from six years ago when the WWE got some pretty bad backlash about a show they had. I think it was Battleground 2014 where the show got really, really bad reviews. And Triple H started the show by talking about how he was going to go tell his friend Mark that he was not going to watch the show anymore. He right. was basically mocking the audience. And you have people that say, oh, that's the greatest promo of all time because Triple H put the fans in their place. First of all, number one, you're supposed to put your paying customers in their place. That seems very counterproductive from a business perspective. That's number one. Number two, how exactly did he, when since 2014 to now, 
65% of their audience has disappeared. You can't justify a promo like that because you're basically telling your audience, screw you, Do you either react as we want or we'll just change the sound later on. Right. And, and that's, the that's the worst mentality to have, especially when it comes to it. To me, I look at wrestling the same way I look at government without getting into it. When you don't hold their feet to the fire, you get shit. When you hold their feet to the fire, you get what you need. And wrestling's no different because when Vince's back was against the wall, consistently you got good shows. There's no question about that. Today, they throw shit at the wall hoping that it sticks. And you have people apologizing for it. And they're basically, they're in, to me, there is a segment of the fans, they're enabling this stuff. When you right. apologize for something that's bad, to me, you're enabling it. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think you're right. And I, I, I guess my thought is, uh, Jimmy, that uh, the Triple H promo, for example, um, what it did was it was... This, this is what I want to say. It's always under the blanket of, oh, we're just in character. That This is the WWE's token go-to response for any of these critiques, is that when Vince McMahon, or in this case Triple H, says something offensive, obnoxious, where they're insulting the fan, they're insulting the audience, their go-to blanket defense is, we are just in character. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when uh, for instance... I mean, this is an obscure thing, but about 15 years ago, Stephanie McMahon, when she kind of had that cool, I don't know if she, it's still the same song, but didn't she have a little Kim kind of rap intro song? Hey, blah, 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 blah. Like little Stephanie McMahon had like a rap song. That was her entrance. And I think it's still uh -huh. her entrance. I don't completely remember it, but I'll, I'll take your word for right, it. Right, right. I think, I think it's still Stephanie McMahon's entrance now. 15 or 20 years later, she's been using the same song, which I think is Little Kim, who's a top rap rap artist, right? Okay. So at the time that they came out with that song for Stephanie McMahon, the word was, that was originally supposed to be Trish Stratus's theme song. Okay. That Little Kim, this top recording artist who was very huge in, in pop culture and rap culture, had recorded a song for Trish Stratus. But once Stephanie McMahon heard the song, she decided, I'm going to take that song. Okay, then. <laughs> and, and the point is, because that's, and I did a video about this in 2017, Vince McMahon will eat himself, what's wrong with WWE right now. The idea being that the McMahons somehow got it twisted into thinking that they had to put themselves over more so than the talent. And... Mm agreed meanwhile when they were doing the best business they ever did they were the ones being made to look like fools correct but guess what even them as heels even the mcmahon's as heels and fodder whether it's kevin owens stunning shane mcmahon although he couldn't take a stunner right and they had to do it uh twice in editing or whether it's stephanie mcmahon playing the uber princess of the women's roster the thing that they lost is, even if they're the top heels, that's not as good as Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham. No, that's no, not. Oh no, no, it's not. And 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 what 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 they what they think is, and I guess they were given this idea by a USA Network executive who loved the McMahons as heels. People get sick of the same heels for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And when you have the McMahons trot themselves out and they have the talent stand on the uh, partition 
and they treat the talent like a, a bunch of children who need to be scolded, my opinion, and I could be wrong, is that's the McMahon's how they feel about the audience. And so what they're basically saying is, you, the audience, and you, the wrestlers, are our children. We are the father figure. We are the mother figure. We are the gods, and you uh, obey and worship us. Now, when I started, Jimmy... You're not Jimmy, up at all, sir. I don't right. believe you are. Well, thank you. And, and when I started doing this angry wrestling character, Jimmy, and I, wa I want to get some of your take on my videos, I guess, or my persona on, on the Facebook groups... My whole quest was to kind of challenge the fan to challenge themselves. Because a guy like JD from New York or even my buddy Joe Cronin were doing these podcasts and they were always criticizing the current product, but they would never just say, "Hey guys, why are we still watching this crap?" Like that 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 level of integrity or that level of just blunt you know, you'll never hear JD from New York, you'll never hear uh, Brian Alvarez say, "Hey guys, you know what?" WWE is not watching anymore. Maybe check out some uh, La Lucha Libre from 1998 or check out Wrestle Kingdom or maybe check out this uh, Impact. Or check it. You know what I mean? They would never just say, hey, watch some Jim Crockett wrestling, some Mid-South, some Memphis. And my thing was to challenge the current product wrestling fan to create their own wrestling time machine and visit territories that are out of business. Even if you have to go through the WWE network to see it, at least give yourself some exposure to some of these better wrestling, like Starcade 83 or whatever, super, super uh, brawl three sting Vader strap match. The beach blast. When you had that incredible 30 minute uh, Iron Man match between Ricky, the dragon steamboat and ravishing Rick rude to me, one of the most underrated matches I've ever seen. And yet two of the best workers that have ever done it. You know, I actually watched that match with my sister recently and she watched it and she couldn't believe she saw a steamboat break out a tombstone pile driver. Uh, right. and, and how crisp Rick rude was in that ring. It's actually amazing that that guy was literally under everyone's noses and some people didn't even realize it. Right. And he, he Rick rude never, and at the time Rick rude never got a big world title run. He was supposed to, he was supposed to win at star kid 92, but he was injured. So, yeah. I guess my point, Jimmy, is I've always tried to provoke, not always, but for the last three and a half years, I've tried to provoke my fellow wrestling fan to raise their own level of gamemanship as a fan to enjoy the sport more. And I guess my question for you, Jimmy, is do you think that type of conversation, is that, a, is that like one step beyond what the wrestling fan these days is willing to accept? Is that, is that too much to ask from, no, from most wrestling not fans? No, at all. I don't think it's too much to ask whatsoever because I could tell you I had a few friends of mine, one of which lives in Brooklyn, message me during the quarantine say, hey, Jim, do me a favor. Give me a list of 10 matches from WCW I could watch. Give me a list of 10 matches from ECW that I could watch because I'm stuck in the house and I'm sick. I'd be able to name 10 matches off the top of my head that I thought were watchable. Um, there are plenty, there's plenty of matches that people could watch that they could enjoy. I remember, for example, I have a friend who didn't have the network. My friend lets me use his password. Because I refuse to give them my money. Sure. I just refuse. For me, they have, if they want me to pay, they have to earn it. So my friend gave me permission. He checked. My other friend checked. I said, I said, oh, 
He said, all right, give me a match that's going to wow me. He said, give me a match that I can watch that I'm absolutely going to love. I said, okay, you want a match that you're absolutely going to love? Here's what you do. Go into WrestleMania 3. And you watch Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. Then, when you're done with that, I want you to go to WCW. And I want you to type in Ric Flair versus Terry Funk in the I Quit match. New York Knockout. And if those two matches don't make you a fan of those promotions at that time, I will be shocked. By the time he was done with Savage and Steamboat... He said, is Flair and Funk anywhere close? I said, oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is. And then when he was done, I gave him a bonus. Starcade 93, Flair and Vader. Mm, You want to see a match with one of the best technicians to ever enter the ring with the most athletic, super heavyweight to ever step through roads? And I know I'm giving high praise to Leon White, but I feel Vader deserves that type of praise. I do, too. The most athletic super heavyweight I've ever seen. Yeah, God, great. Bless, God bless Yokozuna and Bam Bam Bigelow. I think that they're in that conversation because they could move, especially Yokozuna. But Vader was just, man, he was of a different breed. He was of a different breed, man. And my friend watched those three matches. And he said, man, if I'm ever stuck home and I need wrestling to watch, I'm coming to you. I've had friends call me Felucopedia. <laughs> because because I have, not, not trying to be arrogant, but I have a decent level of knowledge of classic wrestling matches that if I needed a play, if you told me, all right, listen, you could only watch 10 wrestling matches, then you can't watch wrestling anymore. I would have a hard time putting together that top 10 list because mm-hmm. there are certain matches that when I watch them, I'm happy. Right. I put on the first pay-per-view I ever watched, which was, Buried Alive, 1996, Mankind versus The Undertaker. I love that rivalry. Uh, I could watch Steve Austin versus Bret Hart from Survivor Series. That's the match no one talks about. It was their first match. It was a masterpiece. I loved it from start to finish. Um, A more recent match, I suppose, I can give. Uh, The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 25. Sure. I could watch that match over and over again. You know, one of the best matches I've ever seen. So, yes, it is a conversation that I think does need to happen, especially when you have times where the shows are not entertaining, the shows are not really, you know, giving you your money's worth, but there's also a downside to that, Mike, that I think you might have missed. And I would like to point that out to you if that's okay. Please do. We've got about three minutes. The downside is when they see all those matches... They see all those moments. They see all those rivalries that we were fortunate and blessed enough to see. They're going to sit there and scratch their head saying, how the hell did it go from this to that? To Dolph Ziggler versus Drew McIntyre in a match that we know is a foregone conclusion. With zero interest, with two really good in-ring workers, two really good talkers. But I had no interest in that match because Ziggler's had so many start and stop pushes. Why would anyone above the age of three, even think he has a remote chance. We, are, we already know that Randy Orton's booked to get SummerSlam. I, I guess here's one thing we didn't get to, and that's okay, but just the wrestlers, kind of the, the and good points, Jimmy, the, the, the tweets from the wrestlers 
hey, I had a great time working with Suss and Shuts tonight, and afterwards we all went to Waffle House and fed ourselves. I hear what you're saying. Yes, <laughs> that does that does take away, and that's on them. That right. is on that is where I will give the wrestlers a degree of blame, because they don't stay true to their characters. A lot of them could take an example from Taker that you know during his heyday, he lived the gimmick. Right. And I think that if he was around in the internet age, I think he still would have did it. Yeah. Because that was his commitment to the craft, and that was his commitment to the business. But that's just my, that's just one man's opinion. Well, we we see so many wrestlers, uh, I mean, the whole, there's a whole thing I could get into about Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega kind of teased a match on the internet before Jericho was really done done with WWE, and he and Omega had a few little barbs. And people took notice of it, but then suddenly Jericho's in Japan attacking Kenny Omega, setting up basically one of the seeds for AEW, which was back in New Japan two and a half years ago. Which was a pretty damn good match, by the way. Yes, it was. And it kind of revitalized Chris Jericho, and it made people realize, wow, some of these veteran wrestlers, and Jericho's the exception to the rule, but... Once the um, reins, so to speak, are free from these guys, then they can still go. And a guy like Jericho, and what Steve Austin said of Jericho was, you were free. And and Austin said it reminded me of a Brian Pillman. If he had been alive, what he Mm -hmm. would have been doing at age 50 or 47. That's high praise coming from Steve because he loves the shit out of Brian Pillman. God rest his soul. That's right. Well, Jimmy, we're hitting the 30 minute mark, man. We, we could probably bang out another show, but we'll, we'll hold off. We'll, we'll do that another time. Yes, sir. I want to I thank you. And, uh, you know, keep being a wrestling fan. I, and I do, I do, I guess the surprise of my night was that you didn't aspire to work in the business, but it seems like you got a pretty good life going on for yourself right now in New York. Congratulations on the family and Thanks. the career and stay safe out there, buddy. I certainly will. You do the same, Mike. Please do so. And thanks for having me. I really enjoyed myself. Most definitely. Mikey Messier, Jimmy Faluca, Life Lesson.